Natural language processing can be an incredibly powerful tool. It can be used to analyze thousands of data points and provide fast, reliable insights. Yet, is there a risk to bias cropping up in these results? How do we know for sure that the results are as objective as possible? Keep listening as today we're going to dive deep into the topic of natural language processing, a powerful tool that will aid the future of product management. This is the Product Manager Podcast, the voices of a community that's writing the playbook for product management, development, and strategy. We're sponsored by Crema, a digital product agency that helps individuals and companies thrive through creativity, technology, and culture. Learn more at crema.us. Keep listening for practical, authentic insights to help you succeed in the world of product management. All right, so joining us today to talk about our topic of bias and natural language processing, or NLP, we have Dan Erickson, the CEO and founder of Viable. Viable helps companies learn from their customers by aggregating customer feedback across channels, identifying themes, and analyzing the feedback to produce actionable insights and recommendations. Viable supports many channels, support tickets, live chat, social media, surveys, product and app reviews, and call transcripts. Dan and his team have also raised a total of $9 million from Craft Ventures, Javelin Venture Partners, Streamline Ventures, Maris Capital, many amazing angel investors and solo GPs. Hey, Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Michael. It's great to be here. It's great to have you here. And for our audience, I'm curious, to just kind of start and open up. Um, can you please share a little bit about your background and how you got to where you're at today? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so my background is actually in engineering. Um, I've been uh, in startups uh, on the engineering side of the house for about 15 years now um, and uh, really have been focused on sort of the, the early stage uh, and then into, uh, into growth as well. Um, so uh, on the, uh, on the, in the beginning of the career, it was very focused on helping early stage companies build their very first product and really understand that first sort of product market fits uh, stage. Uh, and then I, I moved into, uh, into some more growth companies like Yammer and Ease. Um, and uh, I, I was a VP of engineering at Ease. I was CTO at a company called Gettable, which was in the construction rental space. Uh, and then uh, just a couple of years ago, I founded uh, Viable to help companies really understand and connect with their customers. And how did, how did you come across the, uh, the idea and the need for Viable? Yeah, so Viable actually, we, we arrived at the, at the current state of Viable uh, through a, a sort of winding path a little bit. Uh, we, we actually followed the market here. So when we first started uh, the company, we called ourselves Viable Fit. Uh, and we were actually focused on helping early stage companies find product market fit uh, using the superhuman product market fit uh, uh, framework. Um, we had a productized version of that that used NLP uh, to help uh, them understand the uh, the responses that they were getting back in that survey uh, that, uh, that that Superhuman put together. Um, we quickly, however, realized that the the big value that we were providing was in that analysis layer, not necessarily in the collection of uh, of feedback uh, or in the uh, in the measurement of of product market fit. So we ended up moving up market away from the early stage startups. Uh, and in towards the, uh, the high growth and enterprise companies that have a huge amount of data coming in that they just don't have any way to, uh, to analyze right now. Yeah, fascinating. Um, especially like where you started and then kind of where you, where you pivoted towards in terms of your, your market segments. Yep. That was all about listening to the market for that one. 
So uh, before we go go deeper into uh, Viable, I'm curious just for, for our audience, everyone who's listening, can you talk a little bit about what is na natural language processing or NLP for short at a high level? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so natural language processing is, uh, is basically a way of uh, helping a computer understand human language. Um, it, uh, it is uh, in its infancy was used for pretty simple things like extracting key phrases from, uh, from text uh, or uh, doing sentiment analysis on specific topics within a text, um, so on and so forth. Uh, over the last, uh, NLP has been around for decades, uh, but over the last few years, uh, we've seen a huge renaissance in, uh, in NLP, uh, it's specifically around transformer models uh, and large language models. Um, and what these have enabled uh, is a much deeper understanding uh, of human, human language in context. So instead of just being able to pull out key phrases or telling you that this is a positive or a negative sentiment, uh, we, you can start to actually understand what you mean by things um, and really start to understand uh, the similarities in different topics, for, for instance. So instead of pulling out uh, you know, a key phrase of um, keyboard shortcuts, keyboard commands, and hotkeys as all three separate ideas, uh, NLP is starting to become, uh, it's, it's starting to become possible to actually understand that those three things are actually the same thing. Um, and that's just due to the uh, sort of depth uh, of understanding that these new NLP models have. Um, so at a high level, NLP is all about understanding human language in a way that computers can, uh, uh, can sort of use to extract the right stuff. And how does Viable use NLP? Yeah, uh, so at the very core of our product uh, sits uh, our qualitative analysis engine, which consists of a combination of in-house third-party models uh, or in, yeah, in-house and third-party uh, third models, including GPT-3. Um, so GPT-3 kind of provides the, the sort of foundation for what we're, for what we're building here. Uh, but we've actually built up a, a ton of custom models on top of that, as well as some uh, fine-tuned GPT-3 models themselves. Um, working really closely with o OpenAI and the folks over at OpenAI over there uh, to do that. Um, so we use uh, NLP and nat or NLG, which is Natural Language Generation, uh, for a wide range of our features. Uh, one is theme, theme analysis. So this is basically taking in uh, a large set of data from, uh, from a bunch of different sources and then clustering those things together into themes. So we can identify things like, uh, uh, what is your top, you know, what's your top complaints or what's your top compliments or what are the most frequently asked questions? Um, and each of those, uh, those things ends up being a cluster, uh, which we call a theme. Um, and, uh, so we do uh, theme analysis, not only are we clustering those things together, but we're actually then digging in and summarizing that cluster for you to understand exactly what people are talking about, uh, within that cluster of text. Uh, so that could be uh, a, a great example here would be, say you're building a video game controller, uh, and people are, uh, are posting on Reddit that the left, the left joystick, uh, doesn't work super well. Um, and you've got like you know, thousands of comments on this, uh, on this subreddit, uh, but only, you know, a hundred or so of them have, have talked about the, the left joystick. Now it would take you hours to go through and sort of manually curate all of that stuff into different, into different groups. We can do that in minutes and then actually summarize all 100 of those comments about the left joystick, uh, to, so that you can then forward that over to your hardware team and they'll know exactly where to start. Um, we also do, uh, use it for topic extraction. So specifically pulling out, uh, you know, what features are they talking about? What products are they talking about? Uh, that kind of thing. 
Um, and then we do the theme analysis uh, summarization, which is where the natural language generation comes in. Um, that's where we're generating an actual human readable uh, text. In fact, our average report has over, uh, over 30 paragraphs of actual written analysis that is written by our computer system, no humans. Um, and then uh, we also use it for our open-ended QA, uh, where you can type in a, a question in plain English. Uh, we will then go query your data, find all of the stuff that could possibly answer that question, and then run it through a, a series of analysis models to actually answer that question for you. Really fascinating. And, you know, I'm curious, just listening to you talk about this and also knowing uh, a little bit about the history of Viable as a company, um, this is a pretty kind of high-tech um, product solution. Um, and when you were building this and kind of figuring out your product market fit, uh, was this something where you saw the technology and you're like, there's there and for some of the kind of the trends that you're talking about, there's an opportunity to apply this to a product to solve a problem. Or was it coming from the fact of like, we see a problem and let's go figure out a technology and NLP happened to be in a good state where you're like, this can solve our problem. Yeah. So it started out as, uh, as the second thing there actually, it was, it was to go, to go solve a real problem. Um, and this was the, actually originally the problem of helping companies find product market fit. Uh, using the superhuman product market fit process, which is basically send out a survey, collect the responses, read through every response, group it into features or pain points, uh, and then use that to, to help guide your roadmap. Now, the part that people were struggling with in that process was having the time to actually read through every response and properly categorize it. Um, but we quickly realized that NLP uh, would be able to help us uh, actually get there uh, and uh, could rival humans at that particular task. Um, so we started off with a pretty simple NLP system that was mostly just a, a topic extraction uh, with a little bit of sentiment analysis built, built around it to help you understand what you need to build and where. Um, but we quickly found that uh, the people were really loving that analysis side. Um, and so we decided to start doubling down on that uh, and moved away from the original problem that we were, we were tackling, uh, but we moved towards another problem that we discovered during this process. Uh, so we started to work with companies that actually already had product market fit uh, when we were early on in this. Uh, and they were talking about uh, piping in other kinds of data other than just the survey that we were sending. Uh, so we started to build out a more generalized system. And then we got access to, uh, to GPT-3 back in, uh, back in June of 2020. Uh, and that helped us realize that there was actually a way to automate, automate this, not just for a single survey, but for literally every bit of text that you're collecting as a company. So when we're collecting that, that, that text as well, there could be potentially an opportunity for bias to come up. Um, and our topic is about uh, bias in NLP and managing that. So, you know, before we dive deep into that, how could bias be potentially introduced into NLP if you're using that in your product? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so by, by default, actually, every language model has some bias baked in. Uh, and that is because it is all trained on text that was once written by humans. Um, and humans are inherently biased. Um, you know, we, we're, not, we're not fully rational beings. Um, and so because we've got this sort of corpus of data that these things are trained on, that is, uh, you know, very human, uh, we're going to end up introducing those human biases. Uh, into these NLP models uh, because of that. Um, now, the companies that are out here providing those are doing a ton of work uh, to, to try to cut down on that bias as much as possible. And I actually think that OpenAI is leading the pack uh, with, with that. Um, they, they have a whole 
they have whole teams uh, inside of uh, OpenAI that's focused specifically on the bias problem. Um, now, if you're just using something like GPT-3 out of the box, um, yes, you can you can get it to produce some some questionable stuff. Um, but the ways that you can kind of go through and uh, and kind of solve for some of that uh, is is doing things like uh, uh, fine-tuning and, and training on a specific use case. The more specific use case you can get to, the better it's going to go. Um, but like I said, all NLP models have, have inherent biases in there. Um, and you've got to really kind of focus to make sure that you're, that you're training it in a way that's going to reduce that as much as possible. So, so at Viable, on the front end, how are you working to reduce this bias? Or even can you? Uh, yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, uh, the... Uh, the, the biggest thing that we do here is, uh, so one, uh, we, we actually do a lot of training of, of models on our own, um, with data sets that we've curated, uh, ourselves. Um, and that's, uh, that helps us, uh, like I said, get very, get to that very specific use case. So instead of using the big generic, uh, you know, form of the model, you're using something that's, that's trained to do something very specific. And when you're, when you're doing something more specific, it's easier to avoid that, that bias. Um. So we do that b both with GPT-3 itself using their fine-tuning uh, endpoint, uh, along with uh, all of the in-house in models that we've developed. Um, we then benchmark all of those against our own, uh, our own sort of intuition around bias as well. Um, so we actually have humans uh, in the loop when we're doing the training uh, to understand like, okay, this is, looks like we're, you know, we're biasing towards X or biasing against Y. Um, and uh, from there, we can add more training data to offset those biases. Is there any considerations when it comes to like your client's customer data sets that you're analyzing? Um, so yeah, so the, the data sets that we analyze uh, are not actually, uh, so we don't, we don't actually sort of train on our, uh, on our customer's data. We, we uh, usually have, uh, have, you know, our own data sets that we've, uh, that we've built up. Um, now, you know, sometimes we, we use like anonymized versions with permission and things like that. Uh, but for the most part, we're not actually using customer data to train. We are analyzing that customer data with pre-trained models that we've, that we've kind of gone through to ensure that the bias, you know, has been decreased, uh, for that. Um, so, uh, so yeah, we, uh, I, for the most part are not training on the, uh, on the customer data itself. We're really just sort of analyzing it using models that we've already sort of vetted for, for bias problems. So one of the themes is kind of coming out for me is just this continued investment in refining your models, especially off of the kind of the, the base uh, models that might be provided by GPT-3 or OpenAI. Um, and so when it comes to your product's roadmap, are these refinement kind of periods or like, how are you approaching that refinement work when it comes to prioritizing that within your product roadmap? Yeah, so refinement exists uh, within our roadmap as, as almost its own track. Um, there's, uh, you know, we've got like, enterprise features we're adding, we've got integrations we're building, and then we've got like model refinement basically that, uh, that goes through. We've got a bunch of other stuff that we're doing as well. Uh, but um, model refinement is a uh, is definitely sort of an ongoing thing that we're, we're doing constantly. Um, in fact, I, 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 can't, I can't remember a week that, uh, that has gone by where we weren't doing some form of retraining. Um, so we, uh, and we've got, you know, over a dozen models internally at this point. Uh, that we're that we're working with. So I'm not saying we're sort of like retraining all of those models all the time, but at least one of those models is getting reframed on any given uh, or retrained uh, on any given. 
how much of your, your team's time would you say is, is dedicated towards that? Um, I would say about, uh, I would say about 20% of the, uh, of the ML team's time is focused on this sort of a continuous refinement and retraining. Very interesting. So, you know, kind of looking at, uh, the potential for bias in NLP, how does using NLP reduce potential bias, um, and maybe traditionally manual processes? Yeah, definitely. Um, so when talking about NLP bias, uh, I think it's important to also think about bias that's present in any current process that the NLP is going to be replacing. Um, so for example, uh, product managers who are trying to understand what customers are complaining about, uh, often rely on anecdotes, which from whichever support rep or sales salesperson or whatever, uh, they happen to be in contact with at the time. Um, you know, I'm sure as a, as a PM, you've, uh, you've, you've gone to, uh, you know, a support person or a salesperson and said, Hey, what are the big problems that we should be tackling right now? And they're going to spout something off the top of their head, which is usually accurate, uh, but not usually, uh, not usually complete, uh, right? So they might be they They usually have recency bias. They usually have bias towards uh, the loudest customers versus the, uh, you know, the most, the majority of them. So it's easy for humans to get, to get sort of sidetracked into a specific thing that sort of becomes their pet, their pet project. Um, NLP doesn't suffer from that particular form of bias. Um, and so, uh, basically what this allows, uh, allows you to do is instead of having that limited scope, uh, of the bias that's present in those anecdotes. Uh, you can, uh, you can then use NLP to sort of broaden your perspective, um, and see more of the data. Um, so for example, uh, like I was saying, we have over 30 themes, uh, that we're, that we're producing on, on average. And actually that's, that's increasing as we're doing, doing that retraining that I'm talking about. Um, Great. so, uh, I think the last report we just did had over 300 themes that we, that we identified. Um, and humans are not going to be able to do that level of granularity, uh, or that complete uh, sort of uh, completeness uh, of analysis. Uh, and this is specifically focused on, uh, so when, I, when I'm going through and I'm manually going through these, uh, the pieces of feedback, I'm probably just gonna sort each piece of feedback into like maybe one or two themes, uh, like personally. But usually what we see is there's actually three to five uh, uh, themes present in most pieces of feedback. Um, it's just that people only really record the, the one that it's, it's sort of the central problem. Um, and so you end up with a, a much less complete view when you're doing the manual processing than you do with something like NLP. Interesting. It's really interesting. So is, is a human review kind of, or a human input really always going to be needed at some level to mitigate potential bias? Uh, yeah. So while we should always be striving to reduce bias in these systems, especially in like large language models who are trained on, you know, terabytes of, uh, of human language there, uh, we should really never lose sight of the, the real world improvements that these, these systems can provide today. Uh, and, uh, what that, what that really means though, is that we, we really should have, uh, you know, they, these, these models can do a lot of that sort of groundwork for you, but you're always going to need somebody to go through and, uh, and, and like read through and make sure things are, things are great. Um, right. So we try to do as much of that, uh, on the, on the model training side and our sort of internal review as possible. Uh, but we also provide ways for our customers to give us feedback, uh, to help, to help in that retraining effort. So that there's actually thumbs up and thumbs downs, uh, by, uh, nearly all of the analysis that we do, uh, that helps our, our customers actually tell us whether or not these things are, are, are good or bad, or if it's working or not. 
Mm, interesting. And then based on that, are you able to like, how do you, how do you get that detail, that feedback from the customers beyond, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down? Um, so you can figure out how to adjust the models. Yeah. So this isn't, uh, this isn't implemented yet, uh, but the, uh, the thumbs down is actually, uh, soon going to have a, uh, a text box that pops up right after you, uh, you hit thumbs down. And we will actually be piping all of that text right back into Viable, our own instance of it. Uh, so we can then identify all the themes in that feedback uh, to, to try to tackle. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I'm really curious. I'm always thinking about the future um, of product. And so to you, what does the future of NLP look like to you today? Um, and how might this shape the future of product management? Um, you originally talk about this originating from your expertise in finding product market fit. How do these kind of worlds intersect? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so NLP is like, like I was saying earlier, we're in a bit of a renaissance right now. Um, and things are, things are really, you know, kind of pushing forward. Uh, you can see that with, uh, multimodal, uh, models kind of like, uh, like Dolly two, for instance where you can type in a uh, description of an image you want to generate and it pops an image out uh, at the other, the other side. So you can type in something like, uh, you know, a duck in a teacup and it will, uh, you know, it'll actually make an image of that, um, which is amazing to see. Uh, but where we're actually seeing the, NL the, you know, the bigger NLP side going um, is larger models uh, that will have more depth of understanding. Um, so GPT GPT-4 will probably come out sometime, uh, you know, in, in the next few months or year, however long it's going to be. Um, and that will likely have uh, some significant upgrades on, uh, uh, on GPT-3. Um, we're also seeing things like Palm come out uh, at, over at Google um, and uh, a handful of other place, uh, uh, models from uh, the likes of Microsoft and, uh, and Facebook as well. Um, these are all sort of getting larger, uh, but also getting, uh, allowing you to pack in more context. Um, so right now we're, you know, we're limited by the amount of text that, uh, that GPT-3 can analyze all at once. Um, it's a, you know, it's about two to 4,000 tokens, uh, which comes out to roughly 4,000 words or so. Um, and, uh, in the future though, uh, I think that we will end up, uh, with much larger context windows. We'll start to be able to do tens of thousands of words, uh, in there instead of just, you know, a, a few thousand, um, which will greatly increase the uh, the model's ability to tie sort of far further and further, uh, uh, concepts together. So if I'm a product manager and I, uh, see an opportunity on my product to integrate, um, an NLP model like GPT-3 or maybe four later this year, um, where do I start? Is it, is it something like I should ask my developers about it? Is it something that is a massive implementation and undertaking? I shouldn't even really consider it until maybe a few years from now. Um, kind of what's that, what's that approach recommendation like for product managers who are listening? Yeah. So, so I, I think that the, the first place to start is, uh, is something that I'm, I'm starting to call, uh, natural language interfaces. Um, so, you know, you've got, uh, you've got command line interfaces, you've got, uh, graphical user interfaces. Um, you know, these are, these are all different ways of interacting with a system. Um, natural language interfaces, uh, like our Q and A system, uh, or, uh, like, uh, you know, GB or like, uh, GitHub, uh, copilot, uh, or any of these kinds of things that where you're typing in some commands to do, and then it, you know, does the thing. Um, I think that that is probably where we're going to see the most innovation, uh, uh, coming forward and the easiest thing, uh, for almost any product to add to their, uh, to their product. Um, so 
uh, it, what that it will enable is more natural ways of interacting with your product. Um, so instead of forcing your users through, you know, some wizard in a modal somewhere or something like that, you can just ask them questions, get them, uh, you can have them ask questions, uh, and then your system can just be interacted with in a plain English way or a plain language way, uh, instead of forcing your users to sort of guess and click. Um, so that one is actually that, that sort of side of things is pretty easy to do out of the box, uh, with, with, uh, something like GPT-3. Um, so. Uh, I actually recommend playing around with it. Go, go hop in on uh, the playground and uh, uh, in GPT three over there with OpenAI and uh, and test out to see what uh, what it can do and what uh, it can possibly help your your product with. Awesome, awesome. So before we wrap up, I'd love to ask some personal lightning round questions, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Sounds great. Um, so first, which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? Yeah, so for me, it's uh, it's getting eight hours of sleep. Uh, really hard to do as a founder, uh, but uh, but I find that uh, that sleep is the sort of bedrock habit for for all of the other things. Um, you know, when it, when you're low on sleep, you uh, you're not going to perform as well. Uh, you're going to start uh, you know skipping meals. You might not do your your workout for the day, uh, and so sleep for me at least uh, tends to be that that one habit that. Uh, can't be sacrificed in, uh, uh, in, in service to sort of other things. Um, now, you know, that's not to say I don't have crunch mode every once in a while and, and definitely burn the midnight oil, but, uh, uh, but for the most part, I, I try to get real consistent on that. Awesome. What's your favorite tool that you use regularly? Right now it is, uh, definitely GitHub Copilot. Um, it's, uh, I use, uh, you know, visual, uh, visual studio, studio code, uh, for all of my development uh, side of things, I'm, you know, we're a small team, so we're, you know, roughly, roughly 10 people at, uh, at Viable right now. So I'm still doing some coding, um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I, I'm, uh, I'm hopping in and uh, it's, it's actually been amazing to work with. So GitHub Copilot is basically NLP for code instead of English. Um, and what it allows you to do is uh, just start typing some code in your editor and it will try to figure out what you're, what you're doing and write more code for you. Um, it's like an AI pair programmer. Um, and to, it's gotten to the point now where roughly 50% of the code that I write is actually written by, uh, GitHub Copilot now. Wow. That's incredible. Lastly, for someone at the start of their product journey, what is one piece of advice that you give them? Yeah. Uh, don't, don't get stuck in a rut. Uh, what I mean there is you're going to have an idea and that, uh, that idea is going to be really cool. Uh, but it might not be the thing that's actually going to propel your company to success. Um, it's usually the initial idea is different than where you end up, uh, later on. Um, and it's key to continue to listen to your users, uh, and let your users pull you in, in the right direction instead of just focusing on your own intuition. That is so, so well said and, and such a great, great note to end on. Um, thank you, Dan, so much for joining today. I've certainly learned a lot about NLP and have a few things that I'll be taking back to to the products that I work on. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. It was great, great being here. You can find more uh, out about Dan on LinkedIn, and you can also learn more about his company, Viable, at askviable.com. Um, again, thank you, Dan, so much for joining. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, and be sure to leave a uh, review of the podcast. Let us know what you think. Um, also, if you haven't already, please be sure to follow and join our community over at theproductmanager.com. Thanks again. Have a good one.